Hey, welcome back to the Hope Recovered podcast. I'm Kristen. And I'm Sarah. And today we are going to talk about breaking generational patterns. Mm-hmm. I think we've probably touched on this in a few different episodes, but it's not something that we have really focused on for an episode. So Sarah and I wanted to talk about it today. Yeah, and I think it's important. Um, well, number one, my grant that I work under is, you know, a two generational approach to the whole family instead of just the individual. So when I'm doing my work and my data and my interviews with people, I not only focus on the individual themselves that's calling for help, but also their whole family as well, because we know from different statistics and just experience that, you know, it's not important just for the person, the individual to heal, but for the whole family to heal when there's trauma. Right. When I worked at a residential treatment facility for teenagers, it was so hard sometimes seeing them be the recipient of that generational trauma Mm -hmm. and they could do great in the program and really want a life of recovery and work on their trauma but at the end of the day they had to go back home to to the same environment Mm -hmm. and and that was hard to see that and not in all cases but in some of them because the family hadn't changed Mm -hmm. and if the family didn't change a lot of times the kids weren't going to change yeah yeah because it's you know we always talk about nature versus nurture and we could talk about that for a whole Mm -hmm. 50 episodes but i mean ultimately if you're in that same environment you're going to be dealing with those same stressors and and it's hard to break away from that when we talk about generational patterns i think Typically, we talk about different family trauma, abuse, addiction, and even family secrets. So just knowing the importance of that and different ways that we can work on ending those and changing those. And, you know, a lot of times in, you know, maybe my psychology courses or even like in the church and we hear things about generational sins mm-hmm. and throughout the old testament and children paying for their father's sins and the the quote that goes around the sins of the father passed on i i don't know it exactly mm-hmm. but it um and so it's one of those things that we kind of feel hopeless to change yeah and, you know, in my psychology classes, talking about people who are abused mo- uh, are more likely to become abusers mm-hmm. and that cycle. Yeah. Or people who grow up in families with mental health concerns or addiction or things like that being more prone and even genetically predisposed to them to those kinds of things themselves. Mm-hmm. So what are some things we can do to break that? Because it, it really seems like a... You know, we always say correlation is, does not mean causation, but sometimes mm-hmm. it, it seems like it's caused and there's not anything mm-hmm. we can do about it. Yeah, I recently went to a conference where uh, a gentleman had a really good presentation on breaking generational patterns and patterns of addiction and trauma. And he it was very interesting because he mentioned that we can trace back patterns of trauma and generational trauma um, of addiction to wars Um, and he said that um, during the civil war specifically they encouraged soldiers and gave them alcohol 
to help and like I, like I don't know where he got this information but he was talking about different sources um, while he was talking um, to help deal with the trauma of being there because these people were so traumatized oh. by what they were seeing so you know even going back to that and you know going back to un- just unresolved even historical trauma just from our wars and things like 9-11 he was talking about how those have impacted rates of mental health and um suicide and and things like that yeah very interesting stuff see that also i think in the african-american culture Mm -hmm. with slavery and you know even to a lesser extent the racial tensions Mm -hmm. civil rights movement and even you know things like the protests we've had recently and and the way that generationally affects mental health because i mean that stress and that tension gets passed on yeah absolutely and i always think of the little mouse experiment me too i was just about to say that um where they put the mice and then they would spray the i think it was cherry blossom some kind of cement fragrance um and they would what was they shock them Mm -hmm. when they sprayed that and so those mice became fearful of that smell and that passed down through generations of their babies yeah even two or three generations later mice would be fearful of the smell having never been shocked having never even been exposed to it before so it's just very interesting how our when our brains change um it can affect how our children and I, I I don't know this. This is just my opinion, but like I see my son and how he uses technology, mm-hmm. and it's like he was born being able to use technology. And we didn't have cell phones and stuff when I was younger, but I've used them since I was sixteen. And so you know, you know, our brain structure has to change based around the technology that we're using. And it makes me wonder if when we have our children. Do they are they like born with that technological That's part of their I brain? About it like I, don't, that. I don't know that because I've never even researched yeah, that. Yeah, but, but I mean, it makes sense. Mm-hmm. We see that with I mean, kids who know how to use a phone at two or three. Mm-hmm. So what can we do? How can how can we change this if it's built into who we are? Mm-hmm. Thankfully, which I think ACEs is important to mention with this, you know, um, adverse childhood experiences. Um, if we have generational patterns of abuse, addiction, and trauma, we're going to have, you know, adverse childhood experiences involved. And we all know that a person with an ACEs score of four is eight times more likely to develop a substance use disorder. And that a person with a score of five is ten times more likely to develop a substance use disorder. And the life expectancy goes down with the higher the ACEs. So that's something to keep in mind, too. But I think some different things that, you know, we can do are, um, first of all, like my job, my, my grant is based around to shift the services, the the delivery of services from the in- individual to the whole family, which is what we're trying to do um, with my job. Base it on the family unit as a whole instead of just the individual. Yeah, I think that makes a big difference because even maybe the individual's parents, even if they're an adult, may not realize the, the difficulty of having a child in active addiction Mm -hmm. and the stress and the mental health concerns that causes but also working on things like reuniting children Mm -hmm. with parents when they're in recovery it's building those positive factors Mm -hmm. and it it is not 
it's continuing that care. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing that we see often with recovery court um, is that a lot of times the people will have, you know, lost custody and just have maybe visitation with their children but the outcome of being in recovery court is that they end up getting custody back um and that's so important not just for the parents recovery right but for the children too so it's it's good to see that being more included in different parts of treatment yeah absolutely and you know we have heard that a lot of that's a big goal of a lot of people when they enter recovery is to work on getting their kids back and uh, but we don't often think about how that can impact the kids Mm -hmm. and their trauma as well as uh, the you know the future their future mental health or whether or not they use substances and things like that Mm -hmm. and you know education Mm-hmm. I think is important, um, like you said, education for the parents so they can see how not only their substance use is affecting them, but how it's affecting their whole family. Mm-hmm. And even family education, but also education for the children on how substance use, what addiction is and substance use. And, you know, mom's not doing this because she wants to. This is not happening to mom because she wants it to be happening. Right. Helping them to understand maybe a little bit more about what's happening with their parents. Yeah, that that's huge, especially for kids who, you know, have been removed or feel like, you know, mom does this because she doesn't want me or I'm not good enough to keep mom from doing this. And there's a lot of trauma that goes into having a parent who's using to have that education and that resilience building for them is huge. Yeah, absolutely. And I think four good things that you can ask, and these are four questions that the gentleman that did this presentation said that you could ask to make sure that you're holistically treating the whole family is, how can we help you maintain your recovery from whatever it is? What will your spouse or partner do to take care of you and their self? What do your children need to enhance their present and their future? And how can we help you deal with the trauma of early family recovery? Yeah. And I think just maybe even the trauma of past family stuff, too. Yeah. I think that's a really good way to frame mm-hmm. thinking about working with families i think it's really i thought it was real interesting mm-hmm. that he asked those four things because it's what can you do for yourself your spouse and the rest of your family mm-hmm. what about the person who feels destined to repeat the same mistakes of their mm-hmm. parents i think for people who feel like because like, you know you hear people say all the time that's just who my what my family is. That's mm-hmm. just my family. That's what we do. That's that's our that's our heritage. That's our history. I think the peer movement mm-hmm. in our state is a big testimony to no, you that doesn't have to be how it is, and showing by example. And one thing that the man I want to give him a shout out. The guy who did this presentation, his name was Mark Sanders, and um, he has a a consulting business, and he was just a really great speaker, and this was probably one of the best things of that whole conference, Mm -hmm. this this, um, presentation. He um, had a bunch of pictures of famous people on the – 
the screen and he was talking about how each one of them, you know, might have had a parent who struggled with addiction or might have had this family trauma um, in their family history. But then he would talk about, look at where they're at now. You know, here's this actress and look at what they're doing. And um, here's this athlete and look at what they're doing. And for kids especially, for children especially, that's a huge difference maker because they can see, look at how successful that person is. Right. But they went through something similar than me. Um, so I think making sure we share with people, especially if we're somebody who's come from some kind of historical family trauma or pattern that we've broken ourselves to make sure that we make people aware of that and we talk about it. Yeah, I think that's that's huge. And even whether it's something as small, and I, and I say it's small, it's still traumatic, especially for kids, but having divorced parents and being more likely to experience a divorce yourself mm -hmm. or, you know, things like that. But to have people share their stories mm -hmm and talk about the hope that they have, the healing they've received uh, and experienced. That's huge in providing hope for other people. Mm -hmm. And also just encouraging people that it's worth getting help. Mm -hmm. It's worth therapy. It's mm -hmm. worth trying to you know, experience that healing because a lot of times we think, oh, that's just the way things are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my you know my mom did it and her mom did it and her mom did it you know and it and that's just that's just the way that's we just are what it is yeah and so to understand that it doesn't have to be that way mm -hmm. uh, that there is help there is healing that can happen um yeah we, we, stories are powerful and stories are so powerful and even just to change you know to hear a story and think oh mm-hmm I don't have to live like this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they did it. I can do it. And every day I see more and more how important the peer movement is mm -hmm. and there's how important their stories are and how it's getting people. It's saving people's lives. Yeah. Um, so I think that's one of the most effective. Um, and I think prevention mm -hmm. helps too, which is more your side of things. But, you know, if we have a young sibling, if, the, if there's a, a family if there's a generational family pattern of addiction and we see the teenager in the family already struggling with addiction and maybe in treatment going ahead and having services put in place right. for the younger siblings because we know that that's part of their family mm -hmm. and that's DNA related, genetics related too. So going ahead and putting those services in place before we have to have any kind of other intervention. Mm -hmm. And to... I think in prevention, a lot of it is not being afraid to talk about the hard things. Mm -hmm. And so when we talk with kids, we're not going to sugarcoat that, mm -hmm. you know, people whose family members struggle with addiction are more likely to struggle with addiction themselves. That doesn't mean they have to go through that. And that, But to be aware of that, you know, I have a friend who has a family history of alcoholism. They're not going to drink mm -hmm. because they're aware that that can be passed on genetically. Mm-hmm. And, and the dangers that that could cause. Yeah. And so it helps to be aware of the relationship between genetics and substance abuse. It helps to be aware of the social dynamics, mm -hmm. the family dynamics, and how that can affect mental health and substance abuse as well. And so I think there's a way we can talk about 
things being genetic or generational without condemning people to that Mm -hmm. and and there is a sense of that awareness in itself can be prevention Mm -hmm. and and like we talk about education is such a huge part of prevention yeah you know i think there is a way to do it that can be harmful and and we want to be careful not to just fall into the you know the stigmatizing language of that's just how they'll always be Mm -hmm. and i've heard that Uh, oh it's just it's just that family yeah uh, that kind of thing and so we need to be careful with our language that we're not like perpetuating that stigma that's right but i think if done appropriately just general education can be so powerful Mm -hmm. especially with young kids because even if they're not open to that message right then there's still going to be a like a piece of them that's like i related to that yeah um and they'll think about it later kind of want to go into a little bit more about that stigma because i think we see that so much with especially generational patterns Mm -hmm. that seeing it happen again and again really perpetuates that stigma because we just see oh they'll never learn or it's just that family or you know always just like his daddy um here in the south i I, that just kind of seems to stand out a lot um because everybody knows you and your mama and your grandmama and 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 they know all your secrets they know them all yeah um and so i mean just seeing families that have a singular struggle like alcohol or drugs Mm -hmm. can really be stigmatizing for people who enter into recovery because they you know well his daddy died of it he ain't mm-hmm. you know he yeah. he ain't gonna be much better or yeah his sister's here too mm-hmm. or his sister was here too and just that kind of thinking within itself yeah and it um it's hard too mm-hmm. because we understand the pain that that addiction can cause and and it builds up calluses for a lot of people and they don't know how to be compassionate without being hurt mm-hmm. and so kind of want to like address that it's not just people being mean or nosy or whatever you know we hear it out of context and it sounds mm-hmm. that way like they're just being hateful hateful yeah um but a lot of times it's they don't know how to protect themselves mm-hmm. and they don't know how to have compassion anymore because mm-hmm. they've they've been hurt too many they've times and that's a valid place to be mm-hmm. but at the same time there there's healing from that yeah. mm-hmm. and when we can understand you know some of why the person is going through what they're going through i i I think i've said it in every episode in the past month Mm -hmm. um curiosity breeds compassion Mm -hmm. when we're curious about their situation when we learn about what's going on with them we can't help but be compassionate Mm -hmm. because it's not like we said earlier it's not just a choice right and so when we see you know addiction is a disease our mental health concerns is actual illnesses Mm -hmm. we're going to be more compassionate towards that person and i think our language has a lot to do with that yeah and so the way we talk about people with generational struggles um a lot of times breeds that kind of condemnation it breeds it it, it's not hopeful um it's you know it's always been this way it'll always be this way Mm -hmm. uh and that's not necessarily true that's right it's not i always encourage um when I'm working with a family, I have a family right now, and and um, 
the gentleman is in treatment and he's doing great and every weekend him and his wife and kids they get to go up and see him and go to church with him and every now and then his wife will call me for support and she'll just say you know i'm having a hard time i've been thinking about some stuff that has happened in the past and i always encourage her to talk about that Mm -hmm. because with education you also have to bring out bad things and bring out secrets and bring out things that have happened because if you keep those they're not ever you're never going to be able to Mm -hmm. heal from those so i always encourage her to you know talk about that and get it out but i also encourage her to make new family memories Mm -hmm. make new family traditions you know get make the best memories that you can and carry those on right. um, and talk about the other things and get them out, out there so you can heal from them and move forward. Mm-hmm. And there's a way to do that. That's mm-hmm. not blaming him. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. to, but that also acknowledges her hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Cause both can be valid. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, it, while on the outside that may seem like that oh it's great they get to go to church together mm-hmm. and he's in recovery and things are great and it, I, I feel like that could be difficult for her to express her hurt because mm-hmm. he's doing so well but uh, one of my favorite analogies of therapy is a snow globe because when you start talking about stuff and when you start digging through stuff you shake everything up yeah. and everything's all over the place and it's mm-hmm. chaotic and it's painful and it's it's all out there but it slowly settles back to the bottom mm-hmm. and rearranges itself in a way that works and is pretty. Absolutely, and I mean, they're do this this place where this man is at is doing this generational thing mm-hmm. because they've requested books for her, given awesome. her ideas, given her kids ideas for books, suggested that they do certain activities before they come for the weekend, and that is what's going to help the whole family heal without re-hurting each other Mm -hmm. again bringing all of it up yeah because if she is not involved in his treatment if their Mm -hmm. kids are not involved in his treatment when he gets out he has worked through all of this Mm -hmm. and he is going to be in a different place than where he was but going back home she's still going to be hurt Mm -hmm. and the kids are still going to be hurt and it would be hard i could have you know like i Mm can imagine coming out of treatment and you've worked through Mm-hmm. you know your trauma and you're working the steps and you're you're working on your recovery mm-hmm. and you come home and it's still the mistrust mm-hmm. it's still the will you hurt me yeah and that's hard mm-hmm. because in a sense i i could see how easy it would be for someone to hear well you haven't changed that's right yeah um, because they're still focused on who you were before you went to treatment mm-hmm. um and i think you know even when we think about the steps and the making amends and mm-hmm and things like that like how important it is to to have that peace with the family because it's important to acknowledge that the way that mental illness and the way that substance use disorders hurt the family Mm -hmm. and that's not fun no no it's not (laughs) no at all (laughs) but it's necessary Mm -hmm. oh yeah absolutely and, you know, we even have some treatment centers, too, that will allow the children to come, maybe not at the beginning, because it is important at the beginning of, of treatment to focus on yourself and get yourself where you need to be. But down the road, they let you come, they let their, your children come with you, and that allows for 
family healing too so thankfully you know we're seeing some progress being made with you know the whole the family as a whole instead of just the individual so that's a that's a good thing too mm-hmm. i think another thing that's not just a suggestion but it's vital is creating healthy boundaries right because <laughs> if you heal if you heal and your family heals Sometimes there are going to be people, if it's a, if you have a big family and it's been generations long that, that your family has struggled with a certain thing, there are going to be some people who don't find it necessary to heal, who don't, who aren't going to want to deal with that change. Right. So you have to know how to protect yourself from mm-hmm. that and you have to be able to set healthy boundaries with that. Yeah. And, you know, that may mean going no contact mm-hmm. with certain family members. Yeah. And as difficult as that is, you know, in that situation, you have to do what is best for you and what's going to protect your recovery Mm -hmm. and what's going to protect your immediate family in that situation. And and that's such a hard thing to determine. And I think, you know, when setting boundaries, it's so difficult, especially with family members. Mm -hmm. Especially when you're working, like, you know, a parent-child relationship or a close sibling relationship. Um, But setting those boundaries and people feeling entitled to be able to cross Mm -hmm. them. Yeah. Because they're family. Yeah. And, but to understand you are completely valid in setting boundaries to protect your recovery. Uh, That is necessary 100%. And Mr. Saunders talked about within teaching healthy boundaries and encouraging healthy boundaries he talked about different types of family um one was loose family and everybody's just kind of doing their own thing and nobody knows what's going on the second was was an enmeshed family where members are too close and then there was a healthy family where everybody is allowed the five freedoms and the five freedoms included to think what you think that rather than what you should think to feel what you feel rather than what you should feel. To want what you want rather than what you should want. To see what you see rather than what you should see. And to imagine your own self-actualization. And I think those are very good freedoms. Absolutely. Let's um, break those down a little yeah, bit more because yeah. that is awesome. <laughs> yeah, I thought so too. Um, it was just a really good presentation. But I was like, wow, that's huge because a lot of times... Families don't allow those things. Mm-hmm. Um, even healthy families sometimes don't allow all five of those things. And if we did, how healthy would all of our families be? So the first one was to think what you th- to think what you think rather than what you should think. I mean, how many times do we have, you know, parents tell kids, you know, no, that's that's not right. That's mm-hmm. you know, and not just like a two plus two is five. No, that's not mm-hmm. right. But uh, no, that's not that's not how we do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we st- guilty, I'm yeah. guilty. I do that with my kid too. Mm-hmm. And like <laughs> it, we don't think about mm-hmm. kids having this autonomy to think what they want mm-hmm. about certain things. And then you know we do direct kids mm-hmm. and and give them a foundation, but we want to teach them how to think mm-hmm. too and how to think critically. I mean, I can't you know just thinking about feeling guilty mm-hmm. as a kid for wanting things i didn't feel like i should want Want. or Mm -hmm. you know you know just different things like that and understanding like kids are people yeah they they have their own thoughts and their own feelings they're their own person even Mm -hmm. though they're little 
and they need direction. Um, wanting what you want is one thing too, and then feeling and seeing what you want instead of what you should. Mm-hmm. That's a big one, <laughs> especially with religion. A lot of times, you know, a lot of times there's not a whole lot of religious freedom when you're young. And mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you can't let your kid go to just some. Yeah, you're, you're, they're too young to to you know understand and comprehend, but allowing that as they get older without crossing a boundary mm-hmm. of you are not going to believe that you are not allowed to believe that right. you have to let them be their own person mm-hmm. or they're going to make sure they're their own person you mm-hmm. may break whatever kind of relationship you do have the last one is to imagine your own self-actualization that's a that's an interesting concept and to you know a lot of times we don't think about our own growth in that way and to imagine what it would look like mm-hmm. for us to be our best selves. We, I think we think about that in, you know, the last week of December when we're trying to plan New Year's resolutions. <laughs> um, you know, what do I need to be the best me for mm-hmm. 2022? Yeah. But, you know, to continually, it's, you know, I'm going to get a little bit nerdy into, um, different counseling techniques is it's a really solution focused technique mm-hmm. um because when you get into solution focused brief therapy it is all about imagining what life would look like without your problem yep. and when you do that then you can really identify what the problem is because what's missing or what has changed and then you can start making steps to okay you know so if 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 you're imagining yourself actualized self Mm -hmm. what's different right well what steps can you take to get there Mm -hmm. and it just i like that yeah Mm -hmm. it just builds this it's a brief therapy because Mm -hmm. a lot of times it it came about through managed health care and you get five sessions a year yeah what can you do Mm -hmm. in five hours of therapy not a whole lot if you're Mm -hmm. if you're not focused on you're not focused and so this is a they they do like the miracle question and you know if and and it's long and drawn out and and full of imagination but tell me about what would happen if your prayer was answered there's a magic wand uh, whatever there was a miracle and you woke up tomorrow morning without any of this problem wow and walk me through what your day would look like and from the moment you wake up until you go to sleep walk through that and so then you can start to see mm-hmm. where the anxiety the depression the substance use whatever it is that your you know marital issues mm-hmm. any, anything it can work with anything is impacting that person throughout the day and then okay you know well i wouldn't be worrying about this on my way to work mm-hmm. okay well tell me you know tell me more about that let's right. you know what are some things that go through your head or you know what are you worried about on your way to work or you know and you can i mean do it with anything anything yeah and you know, I wouldn't have financial problems because I'm not spending X amount of money <laughs> on alcohol. That is really great. Yeah. Hmm. And so it, it really just gives you this actionable steps to, okay, well, what what can I do to get to my self-actualized self? And so whether that person doesn't use drugs, that person isn't depressed, that person has a good relationship with their family Mm -hmm. you know you can i love that because it's it's putting that in there Mm -hmm. outside of you know obviously the therapeutic relationship is 
a big part of that mm-hmm. and being able to reflect that. But even just imagining that, you can think, of, well, you know, there's not this part isn't that different. I think I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that may be, I wake up 30 minutes earlier, so I have time to get ready. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, that's not that much. That's, that's yeah. not that different. Mm-hmm. I can do that. Yeah. I um, love that. Mm-hmm. That's very interesting. When he said that, I had to look up what he was talking about because I didn't really know, like, in my brain. I couldn't figure out how to put it into a definition of self-actualization. So mm-hmm. I really like that. That's yeah. very cool. I think that's one of those psychology buzzwords that Mm -hmm. gets thrown around a lot in a psychology degree and you don't think about it when you haven't been through that or you know and so you know all these different theories that of development that end in Mm self-actualization and things like that and so i think that comes a lot with you can be whatever you want to be right when you grow up and i make sure that i tell my son that Mm -hmm. um you know if he wants to play in a rock band I'm not going to tell him that he's not going to do that. I don't know what he's going to do. And if he wants to do that, who am I to say, come on, you're not going to be. I mean, um, so I make sure that, you know, I want him to be imaginative and and have those hopes and dreams. You know, we don't know that they'll get there, but mm-hmm. we can help them do that. Yeah. Another interesting thing that I wanted to bring up before we wrapped up was he said, he, he threw this statistic in there, children and adolescents who eat dinner with their parents five times per week use three times fewer drugs than those who eat dinner with their parents twice a week. Wow. And so that goes back to what I was saying about making new family memories mm-hmm. uh, and, tra- and traditions. I think that's an important one. We always did that when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. We always ate dinner at the table. When we do that now, when... When, our, when my son is at our house, we always sit down together. Mm-hmm. That's just what we've always done. And I didn't realize that that was mm-hmm. a statistic. So I thought that was really interesting. Something so simple can make mm-hmm. such a big impact. Yeah. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think it, it comes back to that routine and that schedule mm-hmm. and that relationship. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that's just a time for building relationships. Yeah. Building relationships. Mm-hmm. And even doing stuff like, signing your kids up for soccer and i couldn't be a soccer coach but i've always volunteered to bring snacks Mm -hmm. and like you know if that's something that you didn't have in your past think about all the memories that you can make with your family moving forward at the soccer or whatever game and you're the parent who always brings the snacks just yeah it's not it's not something that has to be huge when i say make new memories but it can be Mm -hmm. small things like that I think that's a big part of changing those generational patterns and mm-hmm. it's not that you have to change everything all at once but you start taking these small steps and mm-hmm. you know, the the famous analogy of you move the rudder an inch and you get off course mm-hmm. by five miles you know i don't know how mm-hmm. boats exactly work but but you make this small change and years down the line it makes a huge mm-hmm. difference i was actually just talking about this morning because we had a meeting for our data for our mm-hmm. lifeline group and i was thinking about you know right now it's over like a three-year period mm-hmm. and i was like dang that seems like a long time i want to see progress before that but we're talking about generational right family things that and issues that are not going to change in a year mm-hmm. it's going to take a period of time to see that change and that's perfectly okay yeah absolutely um and it doesn't happen right when a person gets out of treatment and 
you know, that may include relapses, it may include setbacks, but over the course of that person's life and their children's life and their children's life, we're going to see that trajectory change, mm-hmm. which is really cool. Mm-hmm. So thanks for coming along on this conversation. I hope it has been informative and encouraging and that we can just, again, just provide hope that things don't always have to be the way they may be now. Just want to remind you all to be sure to subscribe on your podcast platform, um, sign up for notifications, make sure that Uh, You don't miss an episode. You're always notified when the next one comes out. Be sure to like us on Facebook at Hope Recovered and Instagram. You can also follow our coalition page, the Jackson Madison Prevention Coalition at JM Prevent. Um, And we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Let us know what you want us to talk about next. Uh, Any questions, anything um, to go into further. Uh, We'd love to engage with you and interact with you all. And as always, we just want to leave you with the fact that we We do do recover. recover.